Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In today's Gospel, we see the Holy Trinity on display. Now, it's not that often that we see the Holy Trinity reveal itself in sacred scripture, and so we must seize every opportunity to appreciate it. More to it, in this Gospel, Jesus reveals the deepest truth of his identity. Now notice what Jesus says. I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to these little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. And so we see the Son of God addressing God the Father, Now, this is an incredibly unique window we are peering through. We catch a glimpse of the two persons of the Holy Trinity in conversation. Now, it begs the question, what are those things that are concealed to the wise and the learned? And what are those things that are revealed to these little ones? I would argue it's nothing but the mystery of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's the conversation that we are hearing right now. And this is what God wanted from the very beginning of time at creation. And yet this window was taken away from us. It was concealed by the sin of Adam and Eve. Well, now Jesus wants to restore that window so that we can peer through it and see and be a part of the Holy Trinity. More to it, this conversation between God the Father and the Son of God is one in which they want to share a life with us. And this is what Jesus is talking about. So again, it begs the question, why? Why is the knowledge of God concealed to the wise and revealed to these little ones? Well, I think what we have to do is back up a bit and understand who these people are. Now, the wise and the learned are the religious establishment of Jesus' time. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, these were people that constantly taunted Jesus. They thought they knew the law and the Torah better than Jesus did. And they lorded it over not only Jesus, but others who didn't know the law. You could say they used the law as a weapon to feel morally superior over the other Jews. Now, Notice what Jesus says. He's revealed these things to the little ones. The little ones. Now, if you look at the Greek word that Jesus used, and remember, the Bible is originally written in Greek. The Greek word that he uses when translated to English means childlike, childlike, utterly dependent upon God. Think of a child, maybe three or four years old. That child is utterly dependent upon their parents for everything, for food, for shelter, for clothing, for protection, their safety. 
A child depends completely on their parents for life itself. Now, use that analogy for us. If we are childlike, then we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. Now, mind you, childlike, not childish. Childish means immature and ignorant, but childlike, which, we, which means we are open-minded. We humbly receive and gratefully receive all that God gives us, his love, his wisdom, his grace. That's why it is so important for us to be open to that. How do we do that? Through prayer and through growing in the knowledge of our faith. I think St. Augustine puts it best. It's faith-seeking understanding. First, we start with faith, but we're compelled to understand it more, so we study our faith. Well, the more we study our faith, the more our faith increases and becomes stronger. Look at Mary, the mother of God. She's a great example of this. You know, one of the many titles that Mary holds is the patroness of theologians. Why? Well, remember the story in Luke's gospel. The shepherds, they come to Mary and Joseph, and they tell everything that the angel told them about Jesus and his birth. It says Mary took in all those events, and she reflected upon them. She pondered them in her heart. And so she studied them. She analyzed all those things over and over and over. And that's what faith formation is. That's why our church always acclaims lifelong faith formation. We should never stop coming to know about our faith. Whether we're 8 years old or 80 years old, we should always be growing in the knowledge of our faith. I've mentioned before, I once had a professor at Mundelein Seminary, and he always told us as seminarians, faith won't grow if you don't want to know. Well, the only way our faith is going to grow is if we grow in the knowledge of it. And so it's important for us to study and pray. See, when we do this, then we are those little ones that Jesus is referring to in the gospel. And the image of the Holy Trinity will be revealed to us. And so we have to do both. But it's a delicate balance between both. St. John Chrysostom once said, The longest spiritual journey ever taken is between the heart and the head. Well, we pray with our heart, but with our head we intellectualize our faith. We come to know it. In order for us to really be those little ones, we have to grow in the knowledge of our faith. We also have to depend upon others to help us. great example of this is the church. We depend upon the church. Remember the story in Acts of the Apostles. Philip is walking by, and he sees an Ethiopian reading from the prophet Isaiah. He comes up to the man and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, I have no idea. So Philip hops into the man's cart, and as they're progressing along on the road, he begins to interpret all of the prophet Isaiah to the Ethiopian. And later on, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. Well, Philip was an apostle. He represents the church. Consequently, one of the great responsibilities of our church is to teach us. First, at the local level, at our parishes, with catechists and school teachers, bishops and priests, but also at a universal level. In Rome, the magisterium, which is the teaching body of our church, all working together for the express purpose to form our intellect. But equally as important is prayer also, so that we come to know God 
and God reveals himself to us. Prayer and the sacraments are vital. Again, a great example of this. Remember the story in which Jesus gathers his apostles and he poses the question, who do the people say that I am? Well, Peter is the only one that is able to answer correctly. And remember Jesus' response. He says, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Well, Peter didn't study, but instead through prayer, the Holy Spirit, through the divine revelation of God, Peter came to know the true identity of Jesus Christ. Therefore, prayer is important. I just finished the biography of St. Teresa of Lesseur, and she speaks about her spiritual journey. She calls it the little way. And she says that the little way is about doing ordinary things with a sense of being led by God like a child. Well, that's a great posture for each and every one of us to hold our hand up like a child as a child holds its hand up to receive the grasp of a parent so that can be led by a parent to safety. So we must assume that posture ourselves. Every time we study our faith, every time we pray, we hold up our hand so that God can take us and lead us to where we should be in the spiritual life. And it is through prayer and study that we become those little ones that Jesus refers to in the gospel, depending completely upon God, led by God each and every day of our life. See, when that happens, Jesus will always give us that glimpse of the Holy Trinity, and he will give us the invitation to share the divine life with God. Now, notice at the very end of the gospel, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Well, after we have been invited to see a glimpse of the inner life of God, and after we have conformed ourselves to receive that glimpse and to receive and accept the invitation for a life with God, now Jesus wants to give us rest. Now, when he says, come to me, all who labor, he's not referring to our regular daily jobs. No, in in fact, he's referring to life itself. And sometimes we labor in life with challenges or struggles in life. Well, what we have to do is bring those struggles, reach out to God just like a child, and allow God to lead us through those struggles and those challenges so that they don't overcome us, so that we persevere, so that we find rest in Christ. Now, mind you, when Jesus says, I will give you rest, it isn't about relaxing or taking a nap. Rest, when Jesus refers to it, means fulfillment, purpose, peace, and life. You know, sometimes we go to a funeral and we say that the deceased may rest in peace. Well, it doesn't mean that the person is now in heaven, laying on a hammock between two trees, taking a nap. Instead, it means that the deceased person now has true peace, has true fulfillment, because where they are in proximity to God in heaven. Now, what's the great deception? Our culture and our society tells us true joy can only be found in temporal goods, fame, fortune, honor, power, notoriety the boosting of the ego. But Jesus is teaching us, no, true peace and true fulfillment, true rest is us turning ourselves over to God, emptying our ego. One last thing. 
Jesus says, take my yoke upon, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. That's a great spiritual image, isn't it? You know, in our day and age, as well as in the day and age of Jesus, animals were always yoked together. It was a common sight. And they worked together. Whether it was to plow or to pull things, they worked together. Notice also the little detail. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. What's the implication there? Jesus is already yoked to someone. Who is it? The Father and the Holy Spirit. Out of love. So what is Jesus really saying? He's inviting us to join in that divine life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For us to be yoked with God, which means each and every day we share a life with God. Each and every day we walk and we work with God. Now stop and think about that. What is a greater invitation than that? There is no greater invitation. What a great privilege for us to be yoked to God standing shoulder to shoulder, walking shoulder to shoulder with God each and every day of our life, sharing a life with God and being led by God in life. See, when we do that, when we pray, and we grow in the knowledge of our faith, then yes, we are the little ones. We are the ones that see and accept the invitation for a life with God. Then we truly are yoked for God for now and all of eternity. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.